I love that the worship team can just bring the magic. They just enjoy their responsibilities and, and what they bring to us here. The gift of leading us to the throne of grace. The gift of just celebrating and, and enjoying Jesus um, in song. And, and, and just giving us an opportunity to offer up God a sacrifice of praise as we do this. Um, we're going to talk this morning. We're launching our, um, our Christmas series. And here's the crazy part about the Christmas series. It's like literally yesterday I'm having Thanksgiving in just north of Dayton, Ohio with my wife's family. And I turn around and it's like, it is time for Christmas. And there's, there's supposed to be like a week's break or something. But Thanksgiving is so late that we are just running a hundred miles an hour. And so um, we're going into this uh, sermon series and it's just a time, I, I think we just got to choose and stop and say, let's take a deep breath and slow this thing down a little bit. We actually can choose to do that, but we have to use the word no. We can't do everything, we can't be at everything, and we can't be everything to everybody around us and still take time to enjoy the Christmas season that is in front of us. And so I want to encourage you in that. We're going to go into this, and I'm just going to be honest with you. As a pastor for the last 27 years, you know, you come to things like the Christmas story and the Easter story, and these are absolutely, this is like the poured concrete foundation of Christianity. You know, what we believe about the Christmas story is what the Bible says. What we believe about Easter is what the Bible says. And that's what we begin to build our relationship to Jesus Christ on. And so as we gather together, it's like, okay, man, Lord, for 27 years, I've been sharing this story and been saying it over and over again. And Jesus, um, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem and in Bethlehem, you know, it's time for her to have a baby and there's no room at the end. And there's, you know, and it's like, how many different ways can you say that particular story over and over and over and over again for 27 years? And so I began to pray about that. And it's like, Lord, what is going to be our focus um, during the Christmas season? And so we're going to take the Christmas season and our focus is going to be the spirit of Christmas. What is the spirit of Christmas? Now, as we approach this, one of the things was to stop and say, you know, there's, you know, the Christmas carol and then, you know, like all the, you know, all that stuff is like, and the spirit of Christmas passed and, and that's, that's not what I'm talking about. As we enter into, into Christmas, like this morning, I want to talk about the spirit of anticipation. I don't know about you, but I anticipate Christmas. And I want to thank Jesse um, and, and Michelle Coombs and their teams that got together and began to make Christmas here at the church because I love Christmas at the church. And, and everybody knows that we're going to spend money on poinsettias and we're going to have um, greenery everywhere. There needs to be wreaths. There's going to be bows. And people will show me things like, hey, check out these like marine you know, um, Christmas trees and they're cut out of plastic and they're nouveau. And they're, it's like, no. Check out this Norman Rockwell. This is what Christmas looks like. Make it happen at the church, please. And that's what we're going to do, okay? That's Christmas. And so I love Christmas, but I love it with greenery and trees, and I love it with family. I love it with people. I, 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 Christmas to me makes me anticipate, and seeing the ribbons and the lights and things go, uh, go up makes, it, um, it makes me anticipate it even more. So I want to talk to you about the anticipation, the spirit of anticipation. But I want to couch that in the idea that maybe you didn't know this, but Christmas is actually a rescue mission. 
I, we, listen, we paint it all pretty and fun and, you know, we, we've got Nerf guns and dollies that, that talk and, and potty and everything else, okay? And, and we do that. But the fact of the matter is Christmas is literally and actually a celebration of the beginning of the rescue mission. It began on Easter and it came to its full summation on, uh, excuse me, a man of Christmas and came to its full summation on Easter. But it's a rescue mission. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to look at it kind of in a crazy way. You know, I, look, I scrolled through and getting ready for the sermon a couple of weeks ago, um, some images. I, I just Googled in, you know, the spirit of Christmas. It's the holly jolly um, spirit of Christmas. And so it's like the spirit of Christmas. Let's just get some ideas about what people think about that. And guess what? I scrolled through 52 rows, 260 images of the spirit of Christmas. And in the course of 260 images, I found three specific references to Jesus. And that's it. It's like, wow, welcome to 2019, where Christmas has been absolutely hijacked. We all know the Christmas story, right? Or, or, or do we really? Because we live in a world that hijacked Christmas and gave it to a monk named St. Nicholas of Myra in Turkey. That's, that's where he's from, okay? You may or may not know that at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD that uh, St. Nicholas, he was just Nicholas of Myra back, back then, he was a bishop, got into a, a big altercation. They were having this big conclave and they were discussing back and forth the deity of Christ and whether or not the God's son could have actually been in the womb of a physical woman who was sinful and so therefore Mary actually had to be God herself. And so then there's that whole section of religion that, anyway, and so they got into this big discussion and this person that we ascribe Christmas to, this Nicholas of Myra, this Saint Nicholas, gets up from his seat, goes over and just boom, jacks the jaw of this other monk named Arius. Now this is historical fact. Don't take my word for this. And they got into such a brawl as to embarrass the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay? It turned into an all-out brawl. So much so that this very same St. Nicholas ended up in jail for the whole rest of the weekend. He did. They had to lock him up. And this is the guy that has hijacked Christmas as you and I know it. He spends the time in the slammer. It's like, whoa. What's going on here? The person that we know or the figure that you and I know as Santa Claus, it, it, that word is a derivative of Sinterklaas, which is one word. S-I-N-T-E-R-K-L-A-A-S. Sinterklaas, which is a contraction of Sint, which means saint, but Sint Nicholas. But the mall Santa, as they refer to him, that you and I have just uh, have, have, have come to um, fall in love with is, is really only as recent as the 1800s, believe it or not. Okay? In 1863, there was a man um, there by the name of Thomas Nast. He was an artist, and he had been um, um, hired by uh, the Harper's Weekly was a magazine, kind of a newspaper type magazine back then. And he had been hired, he, uh, the, the Santa Claus, the big red elf with the jelly, I mean the, the, the jolly belly and the big black belt and the white hair and all that. And he was a, a, a compilation of this artist's understanding of the readings and it was a political cartoon, but it wasn't like mean and nasty. And every year, the Harper's Weekly would have this guy do a new thing. And so he took his 
um, his notions of what Santa Claus or Santa Claus would look like from um, the Holly Jolly, what was it called? Um, Knickerbocker's History of New York, which was written by Washington Irving, um, kept making repeated references to the Jolly um, St. Nicholas character. But even Washington Irving's um, ideas came from a poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, largely ascribed to Clement Clark Moore. And you probably know that poem by a whole other name. Twas the night before Christmas. They changed the name of the poem and, and they ascribed it to this guy. And as a result of that, we have this jolly guy that looks like this. And this is one of um, Nas's earlier, Nas's early drawings of, of the jolly elf. And that's what it looked like back in 1863. And that's, that's what it was. And so he kind of got hijacked. You know, Jesus' birthday got hijacked. But I want to talk about the idea of anticipation, because I don't know about you, but um, as the lights start going up and as I begin to find a place that um, I get to pour into somebody's life, maybe they don't know it, maybe they do know it a little bit, but I, I, I like to be out there and, and like, I just want to say, God, can we touch somebody's life? And at Christmas time, and that's meaningful to me. And so um, I begin to anticipate Christmas, and, and it's like, where did this ever start? And so, believe it or not, this year, instead of going to Luke chapter 2 or going to the book of Matthew, I want to take you to the book of Isaiah chapter 7, because this is where the anticipation of Christmas began in a big way. Okay, And we're going to talk about this just a little tiny bit. Because I pray this year that you have a spirit of anticipation. Because this is what I believe. Christmas began as a rescue mission. And I believe that God wants to rescue you today. It's just a matter of from what? From a bad attitude, a bad relationship, a great bitterness, a bad job, um, Fear of going to your extended family's gatherings. Um, there's something there that God, I believe, wants to rescue you from. I believe that God is still wanting to come into our lives today. He's just not doing it as a baby any longer. But still think of it as a rescue mission. And, and this is going to be the kind of the weirdest Christmas message you've ever had, uh, you've ever heard, but we're going to only deal with Christmas. And I'm going to show you that it's a rescue mission. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 7, and we begin at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 17. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote. And he's writing, he ends up writing about Christmas. When Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, King Rezim of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Let me do that again. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, comma, King Rezim of Aram, Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against him in Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram, pagans, had allied itself with Ephraim, children of God. So the hearts of Ahaz, children of God in Jerusalem, and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Jir, uh, where am I? Shir Jashub, and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. 
Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, and do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah, uh, and the son of Remaliah. And I, I just want to stop there for just a split second. I want to talk about this. All right? So there's this big battle that's going on. But, but there's something in there that you might go over entirely too fast. You might just read right over top of it and, and just keep right on reading. Have you ever gone to church? Have you ever been sitting in your living room? Have you ever cried your eyes out in your bed because of the circumstances that you were living in and actually cried to God and said, God, do you even see me? Have you ever been in a situation where you're in church and you're thinking, I'm in church and I don't even know if God knows I'm down here. You ever read the scripture that Jesus knows the sparrow that falls from the sky? He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head and you think, seriously, seven billion people on the planet and somehow God knows me. Not, not just knows me, but knows where I am. Not just knows me and knows where I am, but sees me right now. Have you ever doubted that and just said, nah, I don't know. I, I want to take you back into the story, which has nothing to do with this sermon, but the Holy Spirit told me to share it with you. So I'm going to do it for you one more time. Beginning in verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub. Don't take that son don't take this son, take that specific son right there whose name is Shir Jashub. I want you to take him. I want you to take him with you. And he says, and I want you to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct on the upper pool. He doesn't say, I want you to meet Ahaz on the aqueduct. He doesn't say, I want you to meet him in the middle, somewhere along it, toward the end, down from it, a couple, you know, up in that area. He specifically says, I want you to take that specific child, and I want you to go and meet Ahaz specifically at the very upper end, at the beginning of the aqueduct, and not just any aqueduct, because there's multiple aqueducts. I want you to take Shir Jashub, Go to the end of the aqueduct at its beginning, but go to the one where it's the, it's the pool there. The, it's called the upper pool, not the lower pool, not the middle pool, not any other pool, not a well somewhere that's feeding into an aqueduct. I want you to take him to that literal spot right there where Ahaz is because I see him there. And I want you to say this to him specifically. Oh, and by the way, it's on the washerman's road, okay? The field, the road to the, the washerman's field, excuse me. And I want you to say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Those three things. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two guys that are coming against you. They're just smoldering stubs of firewood. They're going to get consumed because of their fierce anger. Don't, don't, don't even sweat it. I want you to know that's how specific my God is. He is so specific. He said, I want you to sit in the fifth row back, the third seat from the left, in the middle section. You thought you picked that seat, didn't you? He already knew you would, and he prepared for you. See, God is so 
incredibly specific. And I can't explain it to you. I'm just one of the seven billion. I can't explain how he does that. But I trust that he's God. And when I see something like that written that I normally just read right over, I back up and I say, whoa, those are kind of some seriously specific instructions. God is seriously pay attention, paying attention to Ahaz, isn't he? And I believe that in Jesus Christ, he's paying that serious attention to you. Verse 5 says, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, Ahaz. They've said, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered to um, be a people, excuse me, will to will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And again the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it is in the deepest depths or in the highest of heights. But look what Ahaz says. God has said, Go ahead, ask me to give you a sign. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And I want you to pay attention to God's response. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to his son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Wait, wait, wait. We just went from an all-out battle to Christmas. And it all took place at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool. And by the way, take your son, Shir Jashub. Christmas. Right there in the middle of a war. Pronounced. That specific, a virgin, will be with child, will give birth to a son, will call him Emmanuel, and he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time like any other since Ephraim broke away from Judah, and he will bring the king of Assyria. And so you've got this absolute... I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's the craziest Christmas scripture I've ever heard in my life. And yet it's really the first one. It's the first Christmas scripture where it says the virgin will be with child and will give birth and his name will be Emmanuel. It will be God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. And there it is right there. And then it takes place a couple thousand years later, 1,500 years later, and it takes place and they're like, oh yeah, remember Isaiah said, we've been waiting for this moment to happen. The spirit of anticipation. When will that happen, Lord? When will this take place? Ahaz's anticipation was he was about to get wiped out. You see, Israel had been split in half. Ten tribes went one way, two tribes went the other way. Judah and Benjamin stayed loyal. I'm going to say loyal to God carefully. And then the other ten tribes, they, they, they went against it. Jerusalem as a city was inside of, of, of the uh, um, southern um, 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 country, the, the country of Judah, with the southern tribes. Israel was comprised of Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Naphtali, uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Zebulun. I just like to read those names. I just really do. It sounds real spiritual. It does. 
And I, I like the sound of them. I wish we would have, you know, like Joseph wouldn't have been like, that's a spiritual name, but it, it wouldn't have been like a family name. We could have named somebody Zebulun. That would have been a great name for one of my sons, I think. But um, as we look at that, and then Ephraim um, and, and all these people are coming against Ahaz. And so according to the scripture, Christmas is a rescue mission. It's the promise of a rescue mission. And the truth of the matter is, Ahaz needed hope. He needed to believe that God cared about his life. As you sit here today, I believe that God wants us to go into Christmas with a spirit of anticipation and longing for the hope that comes from knowing that there is a God that cares about the circumstances that he knows specifically that we are in the middle of and going through. He is not blind to your circumstances. And here's the crazy part. He loves us in spite of the fact that we may have created those circumstances. And he still loves us. He wants to call us away from sin, but he still loves us in spite of the fact of those circumstances. And we, you and I, we need rescuing. We need to be rescued back into anticipation. We need to be rescued back into hope. And if Christmas is going to be a great thing for you and I, I want to encourage you to begin it with a spirit of anticipation, a spirit of hope, that God can fix it, that God can restore it, that God will in fact speak to me, that God loves me so much that he knows I'm sitting in that chair in the semi-darkness listening to this message because I need to hear it in my heart, but I have to choose to believe it. I can't make you believe it. I'm just sharing with you what the Scripture says, that thousands of years ago, God predicted this Christ to be born of a virgin, and his name, and he would be called Emmanuel, and he would be God with us. And it's absolutely amazing to see this. We need rescuing. It wasn't the first mention or the first prophetic utterance of Jesus Christ. That one comes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Where God said, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and, the, and her offspring will crush your head, but you'll strike at his heel. That is a reference to Jesus Christ coming on our behalf. That's the first reference to a Savior. But then when the Israelites were down in Egypt and they needed saving and they needed a God who actually knew that they were down there and they cried out and they were 472 years down in Egypt and they were like, God, do you see our plight? God said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. And this is Moses speaking, God speaking through Moses. And he's saying, the day is coming when I'm going to send Jesus. And this is the prophet he's talking about. For this is what you asked of the Lord when you were at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire, or we'll die. And that's when they wanted Moses to put a, a veil over his head because they were afraid that they would be struck dead because the glory of God was on him in such a powerful way. And God said, fine. They said, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded them, and I will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So Jesus becomes our prophet, he becomes our priest, and he becomes our king, according to the book of, of Hebrews. And he's a better prophet and a better priest and a better king. And here it is right here, God saying he will be a prophet. He will utter the words of God. He will tell you what I am saying. And you had better not turn away because I will hold everybody accountable for what comes out of his mouth. 
and whether or not they obey that. The Israelites needed rescuing. And God spoke of Christmas, the Savior's coming. The tribe of Judah in this particular story needed rescuing. He said, therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. But then during Micah's time, the prophet Micah, Micah 5.2, Israel needed a reminder that God had not um, uh, abandoned them in the face of an attack. He said, but you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And this whole chapter, chapter 5 of the book of Micah, goes on to exhort them to follow this shepherd. As often as we see these nuances and these prophetic utterances of the coming of the Christ, as often as we see these utterances of Christmas, we're shown that Christmas is a rescue mission. And all of these people lived in anticipation of that prophet showing up, of that virgin child being born, of that virgin showing up in, in their society to give birth to him. They were living in anticipation. When, God? When, God? When will you come save us? When will you be here for us? When will you love us? And so the Christmas spirit is a spirit of anticipation. You notice in the scripture that I read in book of Isaiah chapter 7, we're told these three things and I, I reiterated them for you. So these are the things that I just want to share with you. And then you and I will begin to celebrate anticipating what God wants to do. God said through Isaiah to Ahaz, be careful. He told him three things. Be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. But he began by saying, be careful. And sometimes be careful is like what you think when I'm walking up here and I'm talking to you like this and I can see all of your eyes and you're like, because you know one day I'm coming off this stage flat on the concrete. I'm doing the face plant. It's going to happen. And in your heart, you want to scream, be careful! Because you think, I don't know that that edge is there. And sometimes I get so wound up, I don't. That's one way to understand the word careful. The other way is to understand it this way. Be full of care. Be care-filled. Care. Care enough to be filled it says, be, be careful. Paul told the church in Corinth, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be aware of what's going on around you so that you don't fall. Don't be afraid. Be filled with care so that you're paying attention so that you will not fall. If you see a brother who is, is, is sinning, be careful. Be filled with care that you don't want to get lost in sin lest you also might fall. Peter said it this way, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But look at what he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Now look at this, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter says that the devil is a roaring lion, and he says, so be careful. Be filled with care to pay attention to where he is. But, but when you read that, you think, um, oh, no, the devil's a lion. Run away, run away. That's not what it says. It says he's a lion. Stand firm. Take him on. Fight him. Push back. Kill him. Whatever it takes, but stand firm. Be careful. If you, if you don't stand, he says, then you'll fall for everything. But be careful. And what that means is pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay, you know, there's people that go through life, and they're always paying attention to everything. 
And then there's people who go through life and they don't even know anything's going on around them. They don't even know. And those are them. And if you're like, I don't think I understand that. It's you. I'm talking about you. Okay, pay attention. I was in Zimbabwe, you know, a month or so ago. And I went uh, and I was sitting with Pastor Paul and we were talking about Monopools um, as a place to visit. And he said he took a group of young men from his church that he was at before, high school students, and they wanted to go have a, a kind of a guy's camp out. He said, so we went to the Monopools, he said, and uh, we, we rented a couple of yurts. You know, that'd be like going to our state, our, our national parks and renting a lodge, okay? And so imagine a yurt that's about, if you could imagine this whole stage being a circle, imagine a yurt that's about that big, maybe a little bit smaller, but you walk into it and it has two windows, one on either side this way. And the window's about that wide and about that tall, and it's got gauze hanging in front of it. That's all it's got. It's not a window window. It's just an opening. And it has one on the other side. Well, these two pastors, and both of them were named Paul, were taking these 13 or 14 high school students down to the monopools to camp out and have guy time and talk to them about Jesus. And they showed up after dark. And they went into the yurt and they got everybody settled down and in their sleeping bags and they were going to hang out and they were going to be there for a couple of days. And my friend Paul said that while we were all just getting to the place where we were going to fall asleep, other pastor Paul heard something and he jumped up and he went to the window and he looked out. He said, and it's about the time his face got up to that opening, there was a female lion right there in the opening. And he was looking this far from her face. There she was. But he was being alert because the world needs more alert. So be alert. He was being alert and he heard something and he suspected it might be an animal, but he didn't know what. He went to the window and looked. And as he backed away from the window, the lioness backed away from the window and he turned around and he began to tell everybody. He asked my friend, Pastor Paul, wake up and get the boys together. Get the boys together. Um, we've got to pay attention. There's a lioness here. And as he was saying that, the lioness came through the other window and got a hold of him and mauled him and they were face to face and he had her and she had him and he was mauled here and he was mauled here and he was mauled here and she was doing this on his belly with her nails and, and she had her talons sunk in his back and was doing this and, and they were going at it and he took his, the only, they didn't have a gun, they're not allowed to take a gun. And, and he took out his knife and he started stabbing her in the side and that made her angry. And at some point he took that knife and brought it this way and cut her throat and she bled out on him. He spent the next six months, this is in Zimbabwe, he spent the next six months in the ICU unit in South Africa. Six months of his life. He killed the lions. But he was just, and he will carry those marks for the rest of his life. But had he not been alert, some of those high school boys could have ended up dead. The scripture tells us to be alert so that we can stand firm and fight the lion. And that's what happened in this situation. We're called to be careful, to be alert. The second thing that uh, Isaiah says over the Christmas story is that we're, we're called to be calm. Let me just back up for a second. Be, be alert. Be careful. You're going into your family gatherings, right? <laughs> okay? Just go in just, just, just go in and be alert. Pay attention to what's going on. Now, be calm. When you go into these gatherings, as you go into the Christmas season, choose to be calm. You don't have to get caught up in all the fervor. 
I'm glad if you got a Black Friday special and saved $100 on a big TV and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, listen, don't get all caught up in it. Just be calm. Christmas is here. We run at such a high rate of speed in our lives. We live our moments so fast that it's already December 2019. December 1st, 2019. We started January 1st with a message on um, um, contentment, or excuse me, convenience. And I'm ready for the inconvenient part to, 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 to be gone. But we're called to be calm. We live in a world that is absolutely freaking out. The politics of our nation, the leaders, the governors, they're all losing touch with reality and they're dragging us in with them. Open up your eyes and be calm. Read the book of Matthew 24 and 25 and be calm. And as you read 24 and 25, begin to live in anticipation. This is what Jesus said would happen. It's unfolding the way he said. When will the trumpet blow? Paul told the church in Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, capital S, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way. Be calm, don't be frightened um, by those who oppose you. This is a sign, your peace in your soul is a sign that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God through Jesus Christ. The calmness inside of you in the midst of political upheaval and ridiculous ideas of what rational is anymore in our society. It's crazy. I agree with you. But getting all wound up about the politics, God says, be calm. Push that out. That's not who we are. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who cares? The goal of Christianity is not to stay on the planet it's to be faithful on the planet and go home and hear God say well done my good and faithful servant that's the goal be calm and recapture that goal vote your conscience and then hush up who cares okay that's where I am okay I'm not trying to save the political situation a good soldier does not get involved in the affairs of state according to the Bible as Paul writes to Timothy and then finally don't be afraid don't lose heart because things are difficult scripture says in John 14 Jesus speaking to you and I says the advocate the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said or everything I've said to you and this is what he says my peace I leave with you my peace I give you I don't give it to you as the world gives don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. The peace inside of us. Not that it's all going to be okay and everything's going to be smooth and we're going to get everything we want. But the understanding of peace that comes from you and I knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is still seated on the throne in heaven and nothing is happening because he sees you and I sitting in here. He sees what's going on everywhere. All the state houses, all the capitol buildings, all everywhere. And somewhere in here, God is preparing to bring you and I home. We're waiting for the second advent of Jesus Christ. The first advent was the baby in the manger. The
the second advent is the trumpet and the angels. Are you anticipating Christmas when Jesus comes back again? Are you anticipating that? God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. At Christmas time, you and I, we anticipate. We anticipate going to Grandma and Grandpa's house, don't we? Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, but if so-and-so shows up and talks about this, it's going to blow up into, right? Some of you have talked to me about that. Oh, but we're going to gather with siblings and with friends. We anticipate gifts and smile and laughter and love. But now you and I stand with ancient Israel with the knowledge that Christ is coming back. And we anticipate that happening. When will he come? Can you hear the trumpet? Will it be over soon? We know it doesn't last forever. But God promised it, and so I believe it. So I wonder as we go into the Christmas season and, and we celebrate a spirit of anticipation, a, a, a anticipating fun little songs done on silly little instruments, um, the gathering together at the, the, you know, the opening of the Star Wars movie, of, of our children opening up their presents, of, of driving and taking vacation time. As we anticipate that, do you anticipate God in your life? Because I believe today that God wants you to stop and realize Christmas is a rescue mission. And God wants to rescue some part of your Christmas. I don't know what it might be. It might be the loneliness. It might be the fear. It might be the struggle of family. and We've all got some of that. It might be the difficulty of work. It might be circumstances that we've created, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter. God cares about that. And he doesn't care to just shame you. He cares to save you from it. He wants to rescue you. And I want you to anticipate that rescue because my God loves you. The God that I'm chasing after, he'll spank Joe Woods behind in a heartbeat. But he does it to correct me because he wants me to anticipate his love, his coming back is gathering together. What are you anticipating this season? What is the one thing that you're longing for right now that can't be bought at a store? That you're like, God, I need rescuing. I just need you to come in here. Please. I believe that God wants to meet you. Not only does God want to meet your soul, but God also wants to meet you in your need and your want. At the end of the aqueduct, the upper pond aqueduct, on the Washerman's Field Road, with someone's son, he wants to meet you. And I believe that means right here. I believe that we're here to pray for you. I believe that we're here to speak a word of blessing over you. I believe that we're here to begin the anticipation together of Christmas. Let's pray. God, you are our God. Holy Spirit, we love you and we invite you. We embrace you and we yield to you right now. And we ask you to come in and speak to us, to overwhelm us, to catch our attention. But I believe, God, that your love is here and that your love wants to touch our lives where we're afraid you're not even seeing us. Give us hope again. 
Give us anticipation that Christmas is here and something's going to happen in our lives. Because you're a God that does that when we begin to look for you. Whether, God, it's through our little Advent bookmark, whether it's through the blogs that you've caused people to write, God. You want to meet us and challenge us and encourage us and inspire us. And so we ask that you find willing hearts hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. These people are up here right now, and they want to pray this blessing on you. They want to speak to whatever it is that's threatening to steal from you this Christmas season. So as we come to our feet, we're going to sing this song, and you just feel to move on up here, and we will begin to pray and pray and pray, because I promise you God wants to meet you. In Jesus' name.